Be to God for Red and Leslie and Carter and all who led us today. And for this scripture, we are in our Strange Jesus sermon series, so you're getting all the strange. Um, before we move into the moment of, of the sermon, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me, on coming out, uh, this week, the Holy Spirit is moving, or something. Um, Sam Smith, who some of you may know as a singer, came out and said that they are using they and them pronouns, that that is more reflective of their identity and who they are. And Jonathan Van Ness, who's on a television show called Queer Eye, um, shared that he has been uh, living with HIV for a long time and is HIV positive and is living his flourishing and beautiful life. And I was thinking about both of those public statements of different kinds and in different places about the way in which um, being vulnerable is just one of the bravest, riskiest, most life and love giving things that we can do. That saying who we are unashamedly because we know that we are beloved by God. And there are so many in this community who use every pronoun, have every experience, have every kind of relationship, are HIV positive and are HIV negative. Um, have all of the kinds of ways of being and more still. Our single parents and our partnered parents are um, living with mental illness. All of the things that the world tells us we should keep quiet, right? We should keep secret because what if other people say that the way that we think or the way that we act or um, what, our, <laughs> what our body is, the way that it offers us joy and love um, is wrong or shameful or mean or bad. To say out loud who you are is such an act of discipleship. It's such an act of opening up Christ, of opening up God, of opening up love, of opening up bravery for everybody else. Because when you see somebody be brave, you get braver. <laughs> and when you see somebody be held, you can feel more held. And so I'm grateful for folks who have publicly come out this week about all kinds of things. Um, and I, it's not, there's no pressure to do that in your life. But if that's something that you have done, thank you for your bravery. And thank you for your kindness to others. And thank you for your vulnerability. And may we all enter into the vulnerability that God has said is actually the strongest, sweetest, most wonderful part of us because the first will be last and the last will be first and what the world has to say about us is nothing compared to what God has to say about us, which is that we are beloved, beloved, and with us, God is well pleased. Thank you for sitting with me in that ramble, but I just needed the, the coming out. All right, let us pray. <clears throat> God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, thank you for bringing us here today to this community, to this community of care and love and grace. Help us to know you better. Help us to know one another better. Help us to be transformed by you in prayer. Jesus has said in this scripture that prayer can do all things, that it can touch all situations, that it can be more powerful than we ever imagined. And God, we pray that you would help us to trust in prayer whether our prayers are angry or sad or confused or ambivalent, God, help us to reach out to you and find in you whatever it is that we need. And if the words of our mouths or the meditations of our hearts today or mine should be in error, should lead someone astray from you, should be of harm, 
Help us to forgive one another and move forward in the endless second chances you have always offered in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Funny thing happened this week on um, professional Christian internet, which many of you might not be a part of, but that I, I wanted to share with you. So if you can put up the image. Uh, Union Seminary is a seminary. Was, oh, so I hear some people are a part of professional Christian internet. Um, so Union Seminary is a seminary in New York City. A seminary is a place that trains people to study religion, either to become a pastor or maybe to become a professor or maybe just because they really want that degree and then they're going to go do something else entirely. Um, and Union Seminary has worship all the time, as many seminaries do, and it's worship that's led by students who are learning about what worship is. And they posted this. They posted a picture um, uh, of folks in front of a kind of table with lots of plants on it, uh, and they're talking to the plants, and it says, today in chapel we confessed to plants. Together we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gift we have too often failed to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? Uh, you may or may not ever want to confess to plants. It may or may not ever be your practice of worship. Um, but I wonder if you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, that the response to this was just an explosion of incensed people, angry that this had ever occurred anywhere. There were people tweeting and putting on Facebook and writing essays and thought pieces. This is idolatry. Plants are not God. Anything that puts worship between you and Jesus and you and the Bible is wrong. Plants don't even have feelings. Plants don't even have thoughts. People were getting real riled up, uh, really proving that they had a lot of feelings, regardless of what they thought was going on with the plants. People were really provoked, I think, by this worship act. And some folks have theological points that are good to consider, right? What is a confession? What does it mean to confess something? What does it mean to confess harm that we've caused? Is this a way of confessing that really motivates people to take action in different ways to protect the plants? I mean, some of these conversations are good, right? Because most of the time, conversation is good because talking about things more is usually better than talking about things less. Mostly what I took away um, was that something about this made people really angry. The idea of humans being in relationship with non-human created life, in relationship with plants or animals, it made them sad or it made them angry or was something that they couldn't handle. And I decided to observe rather than participate in these extended angry conversations. But I'll tell you that the, the only thing I was thinking the entire time as people said, we should only do acts of worship that are in the Bible. We should only do acts of worship that Jesus has ordained. Was I just thought, man, Jesus talked to a tree. <laughs> like, it's, it's right there in Mark. <laughs> Jesus talked to a tree. Jesus talked to a fig tree and said, hey, where's your fruit, dummy? <laughs> right? Um, Jesus definitely talked to a plant. Uh, so you may have other theological issues with this, but I, I would like you to grapple with the fact that Jesus talked to a plant. Um, and, and I've been thinking about both things in relationship with one another. That maybe Jesus talking to a plant is part of what makes this scripture so strange, so weird, 
so appropriate for our Weird Jesus Sermon series. It's one that we don't necessarily talk about a lot. Um, that the same thing that makes us uncomfortable with the scripture is one of the same things that makes folks uncomfortable with this act of worship. That we don't want to be challenged in our relationship to the natural world and our connection to things that aren't us. Not because we're mean and not because we're cruel, but it turns out that connection has a lot of risks. The more people you are connected to, the more of the world and the more of creation you are connected to, the more you become intimate with the fact that harm to them is harm to you. That we are one body of Christ, maybe not just all the people who are a part of the church, but all of the stuff that Jesus came to redeem, the whole kingdom, the whole nature, the whole world. And if we begin to think of ourselves as intimately connected with every person, plant, and thing, it might hurt us more what's happening to all of it. (laughs) What's happening to all of creation and what's happening to all of our experience and what's happening to every living, breathing thing that God made and called good. That intimacy is scary. And then there's another thing that's scary about this scripture, which is that Jesus seems pretty mean. (laughs) Um, It seems somehow unlike the Jesus that I have spent so much time with, somehow unlike the Jesus who I have found to be infinitely loving and creative and provocative as to who I can be and who the world can be, the Jesus who has always been there for me, to cut down a tree's life, to end it, right? To kill this tree for not bearing fruit, especially when, as the scripture says, it's not the season for figs. Um, I too, so here's the most relatable part of the story, right? The place where I, I, I'm at first perplexed by Jesus, but then I begin to enter into Jesus's experience is that we have all done things when we are hangry that we regret, you know? Um, and Jesus joins us in our humanity. It says at the beginning of the story, and now let's bring up the beginning of that scripture. Let's bring up the beginning of this fig tree destruction, that when he came from Bethany, and this is right before his death, right? This is like, we are like in the final days. We're in the last week. We're in the last fortnight. Um, Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus is in it. He was hungry. So there's something that he is hungry for. There's something that he yearns for from the world and from creation, as well as the hunger of his belly, the hunger that we all, I think, have felt, right? When you are really hungry and you open the cabinet and your roommate has eaten the snack that you put there for yourself, right? You too might want to strike them down. (laughs) Um, we, We can find Jesus's humanness in this weird scripture, that he feels hungry, that he feels rage, that he has expectation. But I don't think that's the only thing that's going on here. Um, Most folks over time have interpreted this scripture to be a sort of prediction slash explanation slash condemnation of Jesus's people, um, the Israelites, for not living in communion with God enough, not offering the right acts of worship, right? Some of this incensed, angry, we're not doing the right thing. And then shortly after Jesus's death, the temple, the main place of worship was destroyed. 
and Mark would have been writing his gospel after the temple was destroyed. And so a lot of people see this story as a story about how Jesus, the people are living with the destruction of the thing that is the most important to them, and they're looking for an explanation as to how that could ever happen. And the answer they think Jesus is offering here is, you didn't bear enough fruit. You didn't do well enough, and so I destroyed the temple. Just like when the tree didn't produce enough figs, I destroyed it. It's an explanation for the pain and the grief they're living with. An explanation that I find hard to live with, hard to sit with, but an explanation nonetheless, right? That people in search of an answer are given an answer and an empowerment in this idea that if we acted in such a way that brought this terribleness down upon us, we can also act in such a way that goodness will come at the end. I think that's probably right that a lot of people throughout time have read the scripture this way, that the, the initial community it was written by and for, that was the most present meaning it had for them. But I believe that like a plant, the scripture is alive. And it also has to have meaning for us. In, in the time that we are now. And that meaning um, is hard for us. One, because of the history of anti-Semitism of the church, um, the ways in which we have contributed to the destruction of Jewish people and Jewish communities, and the ways in which our language around the temple and group culpability has destroyed Jewish people and Jewish communities. I'm not comfortable with saying that the, the main meaning of this for us today is that it was totally chill when the temple was destroyed. That's not a, a healthy way, I think, for Christians to look at this passage. And I, I'm not sure that it's the message that's being given to us about what God wants for us now. When I take another look and I think, okay, God, this has meant so many things over so much time. It has always been a mystery and it still will remain a mystery. What do you wanna to say to us about it here, now, in this moment? And I think one of the things is, like, it all matters. The fig tree matters. Your fruitfulness matters. There are hard things in the world if love and hope and joy don't come from you. That's clearly part of it, right? That there's a, there's a message of um, take your life seriously. Take your actions seriously. They produce good or they produce harm in the world. But then there's another thing, which comes at the end of the scripture. Um, why, when Peter tells him, hey, that fig tree you cursed, it died, why would Jesus respond with a word about prayer and prayer's power? If the whole meaning of the story is to be found in be fruitful or else, if our takeaway is supposed to be love and joy or else I come for you, why would Jesus' explanation of his actions focus on the power and the beauty of prayer. That can't possibly be the only message that this story has for us, the only teaching that the fig tree is to bring to our lives. If for Jesus, the fig tree is not about punishment, but somehow about our relationship with God. It reminds me a little bit of um, another provocative, important story in the Bible uh, where, where Jesus says that, um, a rich man cannot go to heaven, right? It's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, which seems like this both um, good message, right, of like inequality is bad. If you're engaging in inequality, you might want to get yourself right with Jesus. 
partnered with a punitive punishing message that seems so much harsher than Jesus of grace is so often in our lives. And, and that scripture too ends with a half take back where he says, yes, it is harder for a rich man to enter into heaven um, than for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle and in God, all things are possible. You have to live with it all. It's a both-and world. It's a both-and faith. The things you do matter. Don't casually harm and hurt people. Look to yourself for the fruitfulness of your life. And, and prayer is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. God is more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And if I believe that what Jesus says about his resurrection that is to come days after the scripture is real, that Jesus comes back and is wounded but still full of life to teach us, maybe the fig tree comes back too. Maybe this fig tree that could not fruit, maybe this fig tree that did nothing of what God had asked it to do, that was not in season, Maybe it is returned to life because there is nothing ever that cannot be returned to life. If we truly believe that God is who God says God is, that prayer is powerful, that resurrection is real, that there is never an end to the story until it's the kingdom and we live in hope together, look at all the places we could find hope. Places that have looked like dead trees and maybe trees that were dead for a good reason. Things that caused us harm or places we caused harm. We say to ourselves what Jesus said. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and throw into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart but believe it will come to pass, it will. That maybe... Even though I resist talking to the trees and plants because some part of me thinks climate change is real and the earth is all about to die and what's the point? Maybe resurrection is real and prayer is real and the world can be reclaimed and made whole. Maybe if I think I'm the worst or I've lost another job and I don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from and it feels like I need to give up and it feels like there's been no fruit in my life from working hard, maybe prayer is real and I am good and Jesus will enter into my life and make something extraordinary happen. Maybe if I am at the last straw I have hurt too many people. I don't think it's possible for me to not take that next drink. I've never not taken it before. There has never been fruit in my life of health and growth, but only of harm. Jesus says, prayer is powerful, and when the tree looks dead, I am still here for you, and mountains might be moved. Wherever it is in your life that you find hopelessness and death, that may have happened that may have been real, and God is still here for you. Prayer is still powerful, hope is still alive, the kingdom is still promised. And strange as it is, weird as it is, disconnected from our experience of isolation and pain as it is, we can believe that through God all things are possible. And we and the trees and the leaves and the flowers might yet come back to full fruit and life. So let's pray like it. Amen.